Well, once again, good evening, and uh, we're together again. It's Wednesday night, and uh, looking forward to this uh, study as we continue in our uh, work and look at the book of James. And taking it quite slowly, so we're in our third study tonight, and uh, going to be looking at the next uh, passage uh, from verse uh, 5 through to verse 8. So thank you for joining me, and I do trust that our time together is going to be of some value both to you and and to me as we seek to just learn from the Word of God and uh, continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So I want you to bow your heads, let's pray together, and we understand that unless God is at work, uh, anything we do really is in vain. And to that end, we pray tonight, Lord, that you would use this time that we spend together We come together, Lord, as needy people. We come together understanding that your word is truth. We understand too, Lord, and have experienced and pray that we would continue to experience just the work of your Holy Spirit uh, in applying your truth, applying your word to us, enabling us, Lord, day by day to be growing, to be sanctified, and Lord, to cope as we come to this particular study tonight, and in, in the light of even the context that we've been looking in, we confess our weaknesses, our frailty, Lord, our struggles in the midst of uh, difficulty, and pray that this word tonight would indeed uh, encourage us and give us much hope and help and strength, we pray. We commend each other to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So right, if you have your Bible, do uh, turn to your Bible and we're James chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read from the first verse, but as I've said, our study will be from verse 5 through to verse 8. So remember, uh, right right at the beginning, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts uh, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that is uh, the the passage, the Word of God. I want to introduce our study as we think about this passage tonight. And I want to share with you a poem. And uh, a poem that really conveys a truth that we are familiar with a truth that we often quote and and share with each other, and a truth that really needs to rest deep within our hearts. So listen, listen to this poem. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand 
as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Now, this poem expresses what we often do not see, but do need to see, that we don't always understand the particular blending, I want to use that word, the merging, the blending, the mix of those issues in our life that we would consider to be blessings, those uh, issues in our life that we would consider to be difficulties or challenges or hardships. Perhaps even to put that in simpler terminology, the blending of the ups and the downs in our lives. And the problem that we have as these finite creatures is, is that we only see the one side. We see the underside of the tapestry. And so it's in that context of trial and hardship, and that's where we were last week. Remember, we were looking at the issue of that very difficult phrase of counting it all joy when we face trials of many kinds, that we continue tonight with an invitation. Uh, God issuing an invitation through James and an invitation to those who are believers who struggle with questions and with doubts in the midst of suffering and hardship. I just need to clear something off my screen here. Uh, There we go, just to continue, to be able to continue. So the very first thing that I'd like us to to look at tonight is um, I want you to look at the very fact that you can ask God for needed wisdom. When trouble abounds, we know, of course, that that happens all too frequently. Uh, We face these difficulties in our lives, these trials. There is a natural reaction. There's a spontaneous reaction that comes from us. And we, more often than not, will cry out with the question, ask the question, Lord, why me? Why, why me? And, and, and why this particular difficulty? And, 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 and so the, the advice tonight is to ask a different question. The different question is, yes, we don't, we don't deny the reality of the trial. James has identified that we will face these trials. Uh, but, but commending a request. Lord, I need wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly myself, uh, in the midst of, of difficulties and, and hardship and disappointment, whatever that may be in your particular situation, the suffering of some kind, perhaps an illness, uh, perhaps it's, it's another kind of a difficulty, a relationship. Uh, Lord, I need wisdom. This, this is difficult. I don't understand this. I don't get this. But, but Lord, would you give me wisdom? And, and we're assured in this passage, we are given the invitation. You can ask for wisdom from God in the time of your struggle. But I want us to dig a little bit deeper into this tonight and, and, and really try and understand, well, what, what is the meaning of wisdom in this particular uh, instance? And we, we understand that, yes, we do need wisdom. And there is a, a deficiency if we need wisdom. There is a deficiency in this particular uh, uh, wisdom that, that is spoken of. But, but what is it? What is that deficiency? And, and I have a couple of uh, uh, answers here. And uh, in the first instance, some people would say, well, wisdom is just having knowledge. 
And I want to say categorically that it is not just knowledge in and of itself. Uh, there's much more to wisdom than knowledge. And, and the reason I say that is because there are many people that many people that perhaps you know and I know who have intellectual ability. They are identified by others as being very clever. They may even have a well-rounded education with multiple degrees. And yet you may see and find that they struggle to deal with life's deepest problems. Uh, I have a quote here from the Earl of Shaftesbury. Uh, I think he hit the nail on the head during his, uh, he was busy with an education campaign. This is back in the 19th century. And this is what he said. Education without instruction in religious and moral principles will merely result in a race of clever devils. I think we know enough today. We're long past the 17th century. We're in the 21st century, and there are many clever people, many clever devils running around in this world today. So wisdom, wisdom must be more than knowledge. Wisdom must provide some kind of understanding. It's some kind of understanding that we need to cope through the particular difficulty, to see beyond the difficulty and navigate our way uh, through and beyond to better postures. So the other definitions or other attempts that people have made to define uh, wisdom, and, and I think all of them in my notes, I've actually put a tick next to them because there is an element of truth in each one of them. Uh, wisdom could be the understanding, or it is suggested it is the understanding for living, understanding for life, that surpasses earthly reason. So it's, 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 it's something above ourselves. Uh, it's an understanding that goes beyond ourselves. Others have said wisdom is the practical use of knowledge. So it's one thing knowing certain things, but it's another thing to apply that particular knowledge. And again, yes, there is a certain amount of truth in that. And, and, and something of wisdom would certainly be described by that uh, suggestion. Another person or another group of people would say that wisdom is simply the practical righteousness or practical righteousness in everyday living. It's living out your life as a believer, doing so uh, righteously. Well, all of those make a contribution to the answer of what is wisdom. But I want us to look a little bit further tonight and we're going to examine uh, the scriptures and uh, I want to suggest to you tonight, in fact, I want to plainly say to you tonight that practical wisdom, the kind of wisdom that has been spoken of uh, in the scripture when particularly in this invitation, practical wisdom is rooted in the fear of God. Job chapter 28, and I'm going to read a couple of verses uh, throughout that passage uh, down from verse 12 to 28, but I'm just going to pick up on a couple of the verses. The question is asked, but where can wisdom be found? Verse 13, man does not comprehend its worth, and we know that as we look around the world, there certainly is a lack of wisdom. It cannot be found in the land of the living. Verse 23, God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. 
for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Now that's telling us something about God. And I want to read that again. Uh, For God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. And verse 28, And he said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. We find this also in Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now the fear of the Lord that I'm going to be elaborating on is going to uh, speak to us or address the issue of the way, the context in which we live our lives. It, it provides the context. It provides the atmosphere. It provides the mindset. It provides the attitude, a, a, a perspective of life that we have because we understand and know the fear of God. And again, I want to just go back to uh, an illustration or an example that knowledge alone is not adequate uh, or is not a uh, complete uh, understanding or comprehensive understanding of wisdom. And we remember amongst the most clever people or the cleverest uh, people on the earth amongst them would be Einstein. And uh, we all refer to him as a genius. He was a genius and he uh, developed many scientific theories, particularly in the atomic uh, theory region. But he was a man who did not live his life in the realm or the context of the fear of God. And so he was a man without wisdom. He made it known, and and I'm going to quote uh, something that he said at a conference. It was a conference that was attended by church leaders and scientists, and he said the following, In their struggle for the ethical good, teachers of religion must have the stature to give up the doctrine of a personal God. So his advice to that particular conference was eliminate your belief in a personal God. Eliminate God. Take God out of the picture. So wisdom begins, certainly, uh, in general terms, we can say with a healthy reverence uh, for God. But I want to take it a step further and ask another question. Where does the fear of God come from? Now, the natural state of people, we have a a, a very blunt, very adequate description of uh, us people, apart from the grace of God. Uh, The natural state of people in the world is such that they do not fear God. Romans chapter chapter 3, verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then something happens. We call it conversion. At conversion, the fear of God uh, is planted in the heart of every truly converted believer. The fear of God is planted in as a distinct blessing, a distinct benefit of salvation, as a a distinct benefit of the covenant of grace. Now, in the Old Testament, and now if we look back into many of the well-known characters and people, we saw amazing displays. We see amazing displays of God's power and majesty, and yet we see a lack of wisdom. They persistently turned from Him and even against Him. But God promises through the prophet, through the prophets in fact, a time when things will be very different. And He speaks to this time 
that there would be this outworking of the new covenant that will produce something very different. So just to give you one reference, Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 40. God says there through the prophet, and I will inspire them. This is under the new covenant blessing. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will not turn away from me. So God is doing a great thing in this particular instance. He speaks of this being given to those who are true believers, those who come to know him. He puts into our hearts the fear of God so that throughout the course of our lives, we would cling to him, that we would not depart from him. And if I remember back in the course of my own life, going through a particularly difficult season some 30 years ago, being rock bottom, even wanting to walk away from God and Christianity. But I could not. I really could not. And, and I really believe that was because God enabled me and held me, as he says, as Jesus speaks of us being held in his hand, in the hand of God as well. So where does the fear of God come from? It comes as a gift from God placed in the hearts of individuals who are converted, individuals uh, who are recipients of this distinct blessing of salvation, this distinct blessing that comes under the covenant of grace and the outworking of the new covenant. But we want to move on and we move on. How does God put that fear into our hearts? Again, we go back to Jeremiah and we'll, we see something of the different aspects or components or even ingredients of this fear of God that God places in the hearts of every true believer. So Jeremiah 31 verse 31, he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And then he goes on in the passage and he unfolds three distinct blessings. These are what I want to refer to as components or aspects or ingredients of the fear of God. So blessing number one, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's verse 33. Isn't that true? You look back onto your conversion or back to the time of your conversion and you will find, I certainly can remember, a distinct, a distinct change of a new perspective, being a new creature in Christ, seeing things in a different light, even disliking what I liked before and, and liking what I didn't like before. I was sharing with a Bible study just yesterday at Glen Haven. I remember clearly when I became a believer that before I used to duck and dive and I didn't want to listen to sermons and I would volunteer to do anything to get away from listening to anybody preach and declare the truths of God. But once I was converted, I could not wait to listen and, and to savor and to receive the word of God. I remember going to Keswick meetings at the Johannesburg uh, Central Methodist Church. They were meetings that were held once a year and they'd bring out uh, great speakers from the United Kingdom. And I used to go there and, and devour them. What is that? It's God placing in our hearts 
the the desire, the inclination to receive and and even to have in our in our minds uh, the the word of God on our hearts. And so God is saying, "I will powerfully and inwardly incline them to a life of willing obedience, not just external performance or duty." but the internal inclination to want to obey God. I will put their law in in their minds and write it on their hearts. So in other words, it it has to do with the willing obedience, the willingness to receive, the willingness to hide the word of God in our hearts, not only to be receivers of that word, but also to be doers of that word. In other words, obedience to the word of God. That's a component of the fear of God. Blessing number two. I will be their God, also verse 33, and they will be my people. So these new covenant people will take possession, own God. That's what God is saying here. And and God is saying, I will own them. And and so, so there is a connectedness. There is a coming together. There is an intimacy. There is a relationship, an intimate relationship. Doing what? Bringing about... The reality of the presence of God in the life of a true believer. Another aspect, another wonderful blessing, another wonderful truth that God gives in 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 uh, bringing about when He brings about this this miracle of conversion an individual. We know elsewhere in the Scriptures telling us we have the Spirit of God living within us. There's the presence of God. And then there's the third. Uh, blessing. Jeremiah 31 verse 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now this is an important uh, ingredient or aspect that we also need to think about. Uh, God is saying over here that he's going to give a true and inward and accurate knowledge of himself. They will know me. And so to, to, to be given to have a correct and accurate view of God, not being satisfied with distorted views of God, knowing that there is the reality of this majestic and great and glorious and holy uh, God that we've come to know. So all of these, if you put them together, the three of them, there's the obedience, there's the, pre- the obedience to the word, the presence of God in our lives, and this accurate knowledge of God, this great and majestic, uh, transcendent view of God. And then, one more phrase that he adds, that this all rests on, and we're going to develop this also from a song. Verse 34, For I will do all of this, in other words, in the light of, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Forgiveness. God forgiving us is pivotal. The other blessings rest on that fact. The reality of obedience, the reality of the presence of God, the knowledge of God, all rest on this uh, blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of full and final forgiveness of sin. And so maybe to just put that in a nutshell, it's the one who receives God's forgiveness that will know the blessings of the new covenant implanted in his 
or her heart. Having those ingredients, those three ingredients of the fear of God is dependent. This is very, very important, and I hope I'm going to be able to explain why. It's dependent of being conscious or, or being in a state of conscious forgiveness of sin. God forgiven me? This God, this great God, this transcendent God, this holy God, this majestic God, this eternal God, this everywhere present God, this all-knowing God, forgives me completely. And who am I? I'm sinful. I'm puny. I'm, I'm one amongst billions of others who've lived down through the centuries in this, on the small earth in this massive cosmos and universe and multiple galaxy world that God has created. And, and so it's, it's that realization, this conscious realization, this big God forgives me. Psalm 130 puts that together very nicely. Verse 1 gives us the context that I'm speaking of. The psalmist is in a state of dejection, despair. He's in the depths of despair. And so he, he writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So he feels he's in trouble with God. God has shown him, and we understand that to be the Spirit of God exposing the sinful nature. Uh, Just like Isaiah, remember, when he saw the Lord and uh, the seraphim were singing, Holy, 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 and and in that glimpse that he had, he he cries out, Woe is me, and, and he understands he's in trouble. I'm a man of unclean lips. We have the same sentiment here. In verse 3, you see what these depths of despair, they are specified, I'm not guessing. Uh, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Now, folk, if you don't get this, if this doesn't penetrate your heart and make you realize that forgiveness is an amazing gift from God, it may be that you have not truly really been born again. It's a tough thing to say, but understanding a correct view of God, you see, a big view of God, and and an accurate view of yourself as a sinful person, deserving condemnation, deserving judgment, God forgiving. Wow! You see, it's in the light of who God is, and I've elaborated on that, this holy, all-powerful God. If you take note of my son, God, Will I be able to stand in your presence? No, no, I'm not going to be able to stand in your presence. But then he gets to verse 3. But with you, there is forgiveness. And this forgiveness brings us this discovery into this, this experience of the fear of God. And therefore, in, in fact, verse 4, therefore, you have feared. So there's a process that leads us to the place of the fear of God. And so I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced, a discovery of God's forgiveness, His real forgiveness, in the light of who He is and who we are, this forgiveness will always secure a sense of the fear of God in the heart of the person who discovers it. Of course, that comes together 
in the gospel because we know in conversion the gospel of the Lord Jesus uh, Jesus is the one who has become for us the wisdom of God that he is our righteousness and our holiness and redemption these these gifts that he gives to us is his righteousness imputed to us credited to us Jesus being the perfect expression of the wisdom of God. And so the point is that if you know Jesus, and as we walk with Jesus, and as we're continually more and more transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the more we will be not only changed, the more we will be changed by His wisdom. He's the one who has secured the blessings of the new covenant for all who believe. And so let me put that in a summary. Uh, the wisdom for living is a gift from God. It includes having a right view of God, experiencing the presence of God, and willingly obeying Him in the details of everyday living. And it's available to us as believers. And this passage in James, or James tells us in this passage, God gives generously to all in that context, without finding fault. He does not give according to our worthiness, but he gives according to his nature. His generosity is not governed by who we are. It's governed by who he is. And so as we move on then, there is a second part here to this passage Inasmuch as we can ask God for wisdom, there is an element of needing to trust God for wisdom. Faith, of course, comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. It's standing on the truth. It's believing the truth. And the, the requirement of faith, which of course is part of becoming a believer, in order for you to receive wisdom in your trials, uh, believing that which God has said. And so James writes, he says, but when he asks, so you come to God for wisdom, asking God because you don't understand, we don't understand oftentimes. James, James says he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Faith is crucial. Stable faith is crucial. So wisdom is available to those who are steadily and single-mindedly trusting God. They're not flip and flop and this way and that way and believe today and don't leave, believe tomorrow. And no, somebody who has trusted and entrusted their lives to him. The doubter is like a cork bobbing up and down on the open sea, completely out of control, in fact on a wild ride to nowhere. James talks of the double-minded man, unstable in all he does. He has one soul that believes one thing and then also does not believe the same thing. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress called such a person Mr. Facing Both Ways. And the warning from James, that man, verse 7, 
should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So, folk, wisdom is available to those of us who believe. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And so the Lord is pleased to give wisdom. He does give it generously. Does that mean we're going to understand everything? No, 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 no. But God will give us a sense of settled contentment, a sense of peace, understanding again, if we understand something of the character of God and the word of God, that even in the midst of difficulty, if we go back to the poem right at the beginning, and the poem, of course, is an expression of that verse in Romans 8 verse 28, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so in the light of these, yes, there are some soul-searching questions. Yes, you can ask God for wisdom. Do that. You must trust God for wisdom. And so to do that, there are these questions. Do you recognize your lack of wisdom? Or are you living on your wits? We ought to be trusting God for wisdom. Are you willing, and this is another challenging question, but again it can be answered in the light of who God is and who we are. Are you willing to submit to God's purposes and ways for your life? Remember that passage, shall the the clay tell the potter what to do? No, no. And then of course are you double-minded in terms of being a doubter? Is there such a thing, or can you describe a steady faith in your life toward God? And most importantly in this whole study, and I've tried to spend some time on it in understanding wisdom and receiving wisdom, it comes in the context of the fear of God. Uh, Always as a result of that wonderful gift of forgiveness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, somewhat difficult opening verses last week looking at uh, trials and, and this week asking for wisdom in those trials. But I do want us to see that this indeed is uh, the provision of God. Uh, it just enables us to get through today, make it through tomorrow, day by day, as God would show His grace. So God bless you. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to Uh, Just put up on the screen the different questions that I've put out for the study as well. And Lord, as we complete this evening's time together, I do pray that you would help us, Lord, to have a mind uh, for understanding who you are in your greatness and majesty. A mind, Lord, for understanding who we are, have been, and what you've delivered us from. And Lord, that wonderful gift of forgiveness and living our lives in the context of the fear of you. But Lord, give us wisdom. We do face trials and difficulties day by day, week by week. Sometimes, Lord, life just seems to be smooth. And then other times there just seem to be these huge obstacles or bends in the road. And we pray tonight for each other. Give us wisdom and give us, Lord, the faith to trust you in the midst of them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
So let me go to the final slide, which is the questions. And uh, you can take just a, a snapshot of those. Uh, have a look at those questions. You may have some other uh, questions that you'd like to be asking, perhaps even yourself or others as well. And uh, God bless you. And looking forward to us continuing in James, God willing, next week again.